Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Hey, we're going to be in Mark 3 today, so if you've got a Bible and you want to open that up, you can. Mark 3 is where we're at. We are in the last verses of Mark 3, and the same story we've been looking at for the last couple weeks. This is the last sermon out of this story. I promise we'll move on next week, but man, this is so so helpful as we think about what our purpose is as a church and what your purpose is, whether you're a single person or whether you're part of a family. What's the purpose of your family or your life's purpose? And How do you you figure that out? I got a call from someone we might call a daughter of this church. She had grown up here. She lives out of state now. But she, she called me this last week for relationship advice. And um, she said, here's the thing. Now, I had this amazing childhood. And I want you to know, Eric, that you know, my family was at church every time the doors were open. She just wanted me to know that. I was like, that's great. And uh, she said, yeah, of course, you know, I'm, not, I'm not going to church right now. Kind of falling away from that. But uh, just so you know, we were there every time the doors were open growing up. And so I'm dating this guy, and I really like this guy. The thing is that he had a very different kind of family of origin story, kind of hard family story, even traumatic. And, and here's, here's what I'm worried about, Eric. I'm worried that we won't be able to have a family like the family I had because our experiences of family are so different. I said, well, tell me about your family growing up. She said, well, you know, like I said, we were at church every time the doors were open, but my dad just the best dad. I mean, he would wake me up in the morning with a kiss on my forehead. He'd say a prayer over me before I got out of bed, and he'd drive me to school. I was eating breakfast. Mom would read Bible stories to me, and she'd pray as I was walking out the door, and dad would take me on these hikes. We loved to go hiking together, and he'd ask me these deep questions about my life, and just poured into me all the time. And he and mom had the most wonderful marriage. I mean, never heard an ugly word said between them, just loving. It was awesome, Eric. said, tell me about his experience. And she went on to describe kind of the details of a traumatic childhood, really difficult. And what struck me most as I listened to her talk about her childhood was that even though all the language describing her childhood was laced throughout with the language of faith, of, of parents who were praying over her, parents who were at church every time the doors were open, even though all of the language around her experience of her mom and dad was laced with faith, she failed to see that, that her experience of church wasn't just something her family did. It was the thing that made her family what it was. You know, that church wasn't a small part of her bigger family's life, it was that her small family was a part of the bigger church family's life. And that the faith that was being cultivated in that church family shaped their whole family experience, down to the way mom and dad treated each other, down to the way dad woke her up in the morning. It shaped everything about their family experience, and she couldn't see that. And so I said, don't get married yet. 
Okay, not because of his past. I don't think that's going to be the problem. So don't get married yet because of your present. I don't think you understand family. And so today this passage in Mark 3 is one of the more challenging passages about what it means to be a family. And I've struggled with the language to use. You can talk about the nuclear family, but that makes me think about missiles. Um, You know, you can talk about the biological family, but a Highland adoption and foster care are huge. That's a big part of our identity, so I don't want to talk about biological family. So I'm going to talk about your immediate family. So that means you, your parents, you know, we might include grandparents in this, but we're talking about immediate family. And we're going to compare that to the spiritual family that Jesus talks about here. This is one of the hardest passages, but in it, if you're really paying attention, you get this clarity about what is the purpose of my family and what's the purpose of the family of God. So let's jump in here in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. This story is split in, in two halves. And in between those two halves, it's the story of when Jesus is accused of being on Satan's team. We've looked at that the last few weeks, so I'm going to skip that part. Let's start in verse 20, and then we're going to skip down to verse 31. So this is verse 20. Jesus entered a house, and a crowd gathered again so that it was impossible for him, his followers, even to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. His family came to take control of him. They were saying, he's out of his mind. You know, in the chapters before this, Jesus is doing and saying some things that are causing some religious people a lot of heartburn. His family is embarrassed by him, and they want to rein him in. None of us have ever felt like this. I mean, none of us have ever had a kid or a parent or a grandparent who's posted something on social media they shouldn't have. None of us have ever been in that situation, right? You've never been there? Okay, that's a little too tender, I see. There's some families who are struggling with that. All right, let's go to verse 31. His mother and his brothers arrived, and they stood outside. Pay attention to the language of space, okay, where things were located in this scene. His mother and brothers arrived. They stood outside, and they sent word to him, calling for him. And a crowd was seated around him, and those sent to him said, Look, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside looking for you. He replied, Who's my mother who are my brothers, looking around at those seated around him in a circle. He said, look, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I got this board here. Let's go to the board. Let's go to the board. This visual in this scene is pretty striking. And so did you pay attention to the language of space, where things are located in this scene? So multiple times we're told that there are those who are here with Jesus. They are around him, we're told multiple times. We're even told they are around him in a circle. Okay, So let's just draw that out. We got our circle right here. We got Jesus in the middle there. That's a cross. So around Jesus in a circle, we're told around Jesus in a circle, are these people who are just pressing in upon Jesus at their center. They're around Jesus in a circle, and they're just pressing in towards Jesus. And then who is outside the circle? We're told multiple times his family is outside the circle. All right, do you see that? Multiple times we're told they are outside the circle. So you've got this group of people who are around him. They're pressing in on Jesus at their center, and you've got his family who is outside the circle. All right, can you see that? 
Okay, one of my heroes is a, is a lawyer. His name is Brian Stevenson. Many of you know Brian Stevenson and his story. His grandma, who was really influential in his life, told him something when he was a child that has like, you know, set the course of his whole life. And this is what she said to him. She said, Brian, you can't understand most of the important things from a distance. You have to get close. You can't understand most of the important things, Brian, from a distance. You have to get close. And I was thinking about that line as I was drawing this out of my office on a little yellow notepad, thinking about the scene here in front of me. You cannot understand the most important things in life from a distance. You have to get close. So remember, the larger context in which this story is set in is this question that we talked about last week, and that is, who is Jesus? Who is this man? And what we talked about last week is that this is the question you cannot afford to get wrong. Jesus says this is the question with eternal consequences. This is the most important question you are ever going to be asked in your whole life. Who is Jesus? That's the context of this story. And notably, the people who know Jesus best, his immediate family, know him least. Right? They are outside the circle. They're too distant to know who he is. I mean, Jesus' mom up here in this little family circle, do you remember she gave birth to Jesus miraculously? And even she thinks Jesus is crazy. Why? She has moved outside the circle. She's too distant. And you got to get close to something if you want to understand it. Uh, This is the kind of Jesus story that would bother any mama, I think. Any mamas in the room? Yeah, isn't this story a little troubling? You know, mama shows up. She brought him into this world. She could take him out of it. Your mom ever say that to you? Mama shows up, and Jesus says, I don't know her. I mean, our boys aren't quite to that point yet where they're embarrassed of us yet. I mean, our oldest is just on the cusp of that. He'll still cry in our lap at home, but when we're out with our friends, he's like keeping his distance a little bit. But I know there's going to come this point when they're embarrassed of us. This is not that. This is not that. But I do think this is a really fascinating commentary on the biggest problem facing the modern family. And that is that it is so tempting to move our families outside of this spiritual family. You know, Jesus looks around at those who are in a circle around him, who are pressing in on him, and he says, this is my family, not this. But I think the temptation we feel, people in America, as people who prioritize family, in some cases above all else, is to move family outside of that circle and then believe that our family can still stay stay centered on Christ. I think that's harder than we think. You know, none of us wants our family to be off-centered. I mean, all of us who are here this morning, we desire, all of us who are watching online, desire that our family be rightly centered. But like that young woman who called me, we don't know actually how you do that. Okay. What's helpful here, I think, is if you, you kind of reflect on the big picture. So here I'm sitting in my office and I'm drawing this out, this circle with Christ at its center. And it reminds me of another scene. And this scene is in Revelation 1. 
So if you were to, to turn in your Bible to Revelation 1, you were to go starting about verse 12 or 13, we're not going to go there for time's sake, but you see this picture. Does anybody remember the picture that Revelation starts with? So John is caught up into this vision, and it's a vision of eternity, but really it's a vision of the spiritual reality of what we see on earth right now. And he's caught up in this vision, and the first thing he sees is Jesus. And Jesus looks really awesome. He looks super powerful, really strong. He's glowing. I mean, Jesus looks awesome. And do you remember what else is in the scene? There are these lampstands. This is a fire. When I draw in prison on the whiteboard, the guys always make fun of me. I've shared this before, but you would think guys in prison would be more gracious. They're not. So here's these fires. So there's these fires all around Jesus in the center, these lampstands. And a few verses later, we're told those lampstands are what? Do you remember? The church. The church. So think about that. The vision of eternity that John has given is not a vision of you who have made decisions for Jesus as individuals in heaven forever on streets of gold with like mansions and robes and crowns, okay? That's not the vision John has given. Okay, and I understand why we think about heaven so individualistically, and that's just part of our identity, it's part of who we are, but the vision that John gives of eternity is a vision not of you around Jesus forever, but the church around Jesus forever. Okay, it's this communal vision of the purpose and identity of the church now and forever. And so, when Jesus looks out, and he sees a bunch of people in a circle around him, pressing in on him. I think Jesus sees this as the first glimpse of an eternal reality on earth. You know, Jesus sees this for what it really is. This is how it's always going to be, Jesus knows. There's always going to be this group of people, this community, who is closing in around me, circling themselves around me. And those people are my forever family. And those people are my family. And so that's why, you know, Jesus uses the language of family here in this story. But that's why in the rest of the New Testament, Jesus also uses the language of church. And then Paul and others use the language of church and family interchangeably. You know, these are my spiritual brothers and sisters, my spiritual father, my spiritual daughter. We've been trying to explain that to our boys. <clears throat> the other day I was getting dressed, uh, I was putting a suit on to come and do a funeral here at our church for a brother who had passed away. And I don't usually put a suit on. I feel a little stuffy in this jacket right now, but I'm, I'm putting that, that suit on, and my boys see me getting dressed up, and they're like, what are you doing? And I said, well, one of our brothers passed away, and I'm going to do his funeral. And they said, wait, we have another brother? And he's dead? <laughs> no, it's not like that. Like, we talked about this before. You know, this is our spiritual family. It's our church family. But every time we talk about that, they really don't like it because there's a couple cute little girls here who they don't want to turn out to be their sisters, you know? You remember what happens to Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia? Like, that is what they're hoping does not happen for them. You've had 40 years to see that movie, so I don't feel bad. Um, <clears throat> all right. The language of family and church is used interchangeably. All right. So in this vision of eternity and revelation of the church family forever around Jesus. In this vision of Mark here, of the church family as this group that is circling around Jesus, what we find here is what our purpose is as a church, what our purpose is as a family. You know, what our purpose is, is to circle ourselves around Christ at our middle, 
and to constantly be pushing everyone inside this circle towards Christ. It's pretty simple. You know, our job as a spiritual family is to push one another closer and closer to Christ. This is what Jesus says is God's will in this passage. He looks out, he sees these people circled around him, and he says, they are doing God's will. These people are my family. So Paul sums this up in Galatians. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians. This is Galatians 4, 18 and 19. It's always good to have people concerned about you with good intentions. My little children, I'm going through labor pains until Christ is formed in you. You see the language of family in there? He calls them my little children. He talks about giving birth to them, which is family imagery. Okay, what does he say? He said, it's always good to have people who have good intentions in mind for you. And he's not just talking about people who want you to succeed, people who want you to do well on your next test. He says specifically what he means by good intentions. It is good to have people in your life who want more than anything for Christ to be formed in you. That's their greatest desire, is that Christ be formed in you. Remember what Brian Stevenson said, you can't understand the most important things from a distance. You have to get close. What we need in this life are people who are pushing us closer and closer to Christ Jesus. That's what we need. That's why we need a church family. Have you ever heard the language sticky faith? Have you ever heard that language? I'll write it up here on our board. Sticky faith. This is language we use when we're trying to describe the formation of faith in young people. We, we want them to have a faith that sticks so that lasts beyond their children's ministry and youth ministry experiences and that lasts into their adulthood. We want them to remain part of the church family. We want them to be believers deep and late into their life. That's what we desire. We want them to have a sticky faith. Well, you want, you want to know what the secret is to a sticky faith? It's actually pretty simple. Like all the research has confirmed this is the most important thing when it comes to having a child with a sticky faith. And here's what the research proves. If you can have five adults at a church who pour into your kid on a regular basis, five adults who your child knows, who are checking on your child, who are coming to ball games, who are calling them up to talk to them about faith. If you can have five adults who your child considers close to them, and nearly all the time, the faith will stick. It, it looks like this. It's a ratio, and our, our youth group is super familiar with this. They talk about this all the time. If you can have a ratio of five to one, five adults for every young person, and nearly every one of them will have a faith that sticks. What's the problem? Buster, dying? It's hard to get those volunteers. <laughs> right? It's hard to get those volunteers. But what we know is if we could be a church where every young person had five adults who were pushing them closer to Christ, our young people would be launched from here thriving for the sake of Jesus Christ. They would come back here on fire for Jesus Christ if we could have this. This is our purpose as a church. You see that? Like the research bears it out. It proves it to be true. What is most important is that you have people around you and around your family who are always pushing you closer to Christ. But here's the problem. We live in a world where even Christian families, so many Christian families, have made this same move that Jesus' family makes, where they have moved outside the spiritual family, and instead, let's see if you can still see this, what becomes dominant in their life is their family, families at the center. 
the immediate family. And then in this model, you know, baseball is something we do, soccer is something we do, work is something I do, and church is something I do, even if it's a big something I do. And so Christ is at the center of what I do for church, but noticeably what happens, Christ moves out of the center of your family's life. And this is a hard word for families. Right? Like it is so tempting to view church, the spiritual family, as a small thing that my family does rather than viewing my family as a small part of the bigger church family. And that is so tempting to do. But the problem is when we do that, inevitably Christ moves out of the center. I mean, Scripture bears this out. God designed the church with this kind of power, the kind of power to focus people, exclusively center them on Christ. And it is a kind of power that the immediate family does not have. Right? That's why you want your family right here, surrounded by people who are pushing them closer to Christ. Yesterday, a um, young woman here at Highland, Zoe Grace Brigance, gave her life to Jesus in baptism. I think we got a photo of that. Can we throw that photo up on the screen? Take a look at that. <clears throat> I know what you're thinking. Where is that resort and can I go? All right. That's, those are friends of ours here at this church um, who heated up their pool for a week so that Zoe could climb in in 19 degrees outside. That's her dad, Joe, right there baptizing her. This is this awesome scene, isn't it? What you don't see in this scene, you know, there's dad. And dad has this great responsibility of forming faith in his daughter, just, just like mom does. But they are not up to that task alone. And what you don't see in this picture is maybe even more important than what you do. And what you don't see is, is a ring around this pool of her church family. You know, people that she called, that she wanted there, who've been pouring into her throughout her life, pushing her closer to Christ until she arrives at this moment where she's ready to surrender herself to him. Isn't that what we want? You know, isn't that what we want? This is our purpose, church. This is our purpose. You know, Jesus' mom in this story, she's outside the circle. And she doesn't even understand her own son anymore. She doesn't know that he's Lord, that he's come to save her. She's too far. She thinks he's crazy. Do you remember what happens at the end of the Gospels? This is in John. When Jesus is upon the cross, this is what we read. <clears throat> Jesus' mother stood near the cross. You remember that? This woman who had been far, had not even known the identity of her son anymore, has now come close. She's moved back in the circle, and then watch what happens. When Jesus saw his mother, he's on the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, <clears throat> woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, and here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. She's, she's back in the family. She's back in the family. Uh, we had a, a young woman came two weeks ago. She'd been part of this church a long time ago, and she kind of drifted away, but she's been watching us while we've been online. And she came back for the first time this Sunday. And it was so great to catch up with her and ask her how she's doing, how work is, and how her family is doing as well. And I said to her, I said, pointing back into this room as everybody was getting up to leave, I said, you know that's your family, right? And she looked at me and she said, I know. I felt it. I felt it. 
That's what we want. We want to always be pushing each other ever nearer to the cross. That's what the family does. 